Chapter 34 Jacob, a Young Working Man Jacob had been a shepherd, and therefore he knew what shepherding included. The illustration is full of meaning. There had been a good deal of Jacob about Jacob, and he had tried to shepherd himself. Poor sheep that he was, while under his own guidance he had been caught in many thorns, and had wandered in many wildernesses. Because he so much wanted to be a shepherd to himself, he had put much effort into it. But overall, despite his obstinance, the shepherding of the covenant God had been exercised toward him, and he acknowledged it. Our version rightly says that the Lord had fed Jacob all his life long. God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day. Genesis 48 15. Take that sense of it, and you who have a daily struggle for your daily bread will see much beauty in it. Jacob had a large family, yet they were fed. Some of you say, It's all very well of you who only have a few people to provide for to talk of God's providence. I answer that it is better still to talk of God's providence where a large household requires large provision. Remember that Jacob had thirteen children, yet his God provided them bread to eat and clothing to put on. None of that large company were left to starve. You might think that Jacob was a man of much wealth. He was not so when he began life. He was only a working man, a shepherd. When he left his father's house, he didn't have any attendance with camels and tents. I suppose he carried his little bit of provision in a handkerchief, and when he laid down that night to sleep, with a stone for his pillow, the hedges for curtains, the heavens for his canopy, and the ground for his bed, he had no fear of being robbed. God was with him. Apart from this, he had nothing to begin life with except his own hands. Whatever he later received from his father Isaac, he first had to fight his own way. However, he knew no lack either at the beginning or at the end, for he could speak of the great Elohim as the God which fed me all my life long. Hundreds of us can say the same thing. I remember one man who came to be wealthy, who used to show me with great pleasure the axle of the cart that he previously used to wheel his goods through the streets when he began in business. I liked to see him aware of his beginnings. Don't go out and say, See how I have been successful by my own talents and hard work. Don't talk so proudly, but say, God has fed me. Mercies are all the sweeter when they are seen as coming from the hand of God. Besides being fed, Jacob had been led, even as sheep are guided by the shepherd who goes before them. His journeys for that period had been unusually long, perilous, and frequent. He had fled from home to Padan Aram. After many years he had returned to Canaan and had met with his brother Esau. After that, in his old age, he had journeyed into Egypt. To go to California or New Zealand in these times is nothing at all compared to those journeys in Jacob's day, but he says, God has shepherded me all my life long. He means that the great changes of life had been wisely ordered. At home and in exile, in Canaan and in Goshen, God had been a shepherd to him. He sees the good hand of God upon him in all his wanderings, and he now finds himself sitting up on his bed and blessing Joseph through his sons. I'm glad that he went into detail with these young men, 
for they needed to be confirmed in their commitment to God. They were in a perilous condition, for they had been introduced to the abundance and culture of Egypt, and were tempted to forsake the poor family of the Hebrews. Some young fellows begin where their fathers left off. Having the means of self-indulgence, they are inclined to follow the ways and light-heartedness of the period. Oh, that the Holy Spirit would make you feel that you need God with wealth as much as your fathers needed God without wealth. You may still come to poverty with all your inheritance if you cast off the fear of the Lord and fall into sin. You who begin life with nothing but your own brains and hands, trusting in your father's God, will yet have to sing as your fathers sang, The God which fed me all my life long. Young men and young women beginning life, I urge you to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It is not life to live without God. You miss the heart, the cream, the crown of life if you miss the presence of God. Without God, life is only a bubble that is filled with toil and trouble. Life ends in broken hope if you don't have hope in God. With God, though, you are as a sheep with a shepherd. You are cared for, guided, guarded, fed, and led, and your end will be peace without end. Bear with me while I follow Jacob in his word about redeeming mercies. The angel which redeemed me from all evil. Genesis 48:16. There was a mysterious person who was God, and yet was the angel or messenger of God. He puts this angel in harmony with the Elohim, for this angel was God, yet he was his Redeemer. He saw him performing the role of the next of kin. Although he was God, he was also Jacob's Goel, or Redeemer, and as his kinsman he brought about redemption for him. Like Job, Jacob's faith enabled him to know that his Redeemer lives. Job 19.25. He saw that this covenant messenger had redeemed him from all evil, and he magnified the name of the Lord who revealed himself in this angel. When he was in his most distressing difficulties, this redeeming angel always interposed. Jacob fell into a bad situation through the influence of his mother, and he did Esau serious wrong. He fled for his life, and at that time there was a great gulf between him and God. Then that angel came in and bridged the gulf with a ladder by which he might rise to God. Genesis 28. The kinsman, God, came in and showed him how the abyss could be crossed so that he could return to his God. When he was away in Padanaram, he began to sink very low while negotiating with harsh Laban. Then again the angel came and said, Get thee out from this land and return unto the land of thy kindred. Genesis 31 13. The redeeming angel held back wrathful Laban, and when Esau came to meet him in fierce anger, the angel specifically appeared to Jacob. The angel wrestled, as a man, with Jacob to get Jacob out of Jacob and to raise him into Israel. Genesis 32. How marvelous was the redemption that was worked for him that night at Jabbok! Jacob came forth from the conflict limping, but he walked before the Lord far better than before. With the promise that he would go down with him, that same mysterious person had told him to go down into Egypt. It was the presence of the angel of God 
who held his shield over Jacob and preserved him from all evil. Jacob has spoken of ancestral mercies, personal mercies, and redeeming mercies, and now he deals with future mercies as he cries, Bless the lads! Genesis 48, 16. He began by blessing Joseph, and he finished by blessing Joseph's sons. Dear friends, if God has blessed you, I know you will want him to bless others. There is the stream of mercy that is deep, broad, and clear. You have drunk of it, and you are refreshed, but it is as full as ever. It will flow on, will it not? You don't suppose that you and I have dammed up the stream so as to keep it to ourselves, do you? No, it is too strong and too full of a stream for that. It will flow on from age to age. God will bless others as He has blessed us. Unbelief whispers that the true church will die out. Do not believe it. Christ will live and His church will live with Him until the heavens are no more. Has He not said, Because I live, ye shall live also? John 14, 19. Oh, you say, but we won't see such holy men in the next generation as in past ages. Why not? I hope the next age will see far better men than any of those who are with us at this time. Pray that it may be so. Instead of the fathers, may there be the children, and may these be princes before the Lord. The stream of divine grace will flow on. Oh, that it may take sons and daughters in its path! Bless the lads! Sunday school teachers, is not that a good prayer for you? Ask the Lord to bless the boys and the girls because He has blessed you. We don't need to say in what precise form or way the blessing will come. Let us leave it in all its breadth of inconceivable blessing. May the Lord bless our youth as only He can, and if He causes them to fear and trust Him, He will be blessing all of us, as well as blessing ages to come. The work of the Lord will depend upon these Ephraims and Manassehs in the years to come. Therefore, we pray with emphasis, Bless the lads! As for us, we are content to continue working, saying, Let thy work appear unto thy servants, but our fervent desire is that our children may reap the result of our labors. Therefore we add, And thy glory unto their children. Psalm 90, 16. In Essex, I took the opportunity to visit the place where my grandfather preached so long, and where I spent my earliest days. I walked like a man in a dream. Everybody seemed bound to recall some event or other of my childhood. What a story of divine love and mercy it brought before my mind! Among other things, I sat down in a place that will always be sacred to me. There stood in my grandfather's parsonage garden two arbors made of yew trees, cut into sugarloaf fashion. Although the old parsonage has given way to a new one, and the old chapel has gone also, the yew trees still flourish as before. I sat down in the right-hand arbor, and reminisced about what had happened there many years ago. When I was staying with my grandfather, Mr. Knill came to preach in the village. He had been a missionary in St. Petersburg, and was a mighty preacher of the gospel. He came to preach for the London Missionary Society, and he arrived on Saturday at the parsonage. He was a great soul winner, and he soon noticed the boy. He said to me, Where do you sleep? 
for I want to wake you up in the morning and talk with you. I showed him my little room. At six o'clock he called for me to get up, and we went into that arbor. There, in the sweetest way, he told me of the love of Jesus and of the blessedness of trusting in him and loving him in our childhood. With many stories, he preached Christ to me, and he told me how good God had been to him. Then he prayed that I might know the Lord and serve him. He knelt down in that arbor and prayed for me with his arm around my neck. He did not seem content unless I was with him in the interval between the services, and he heard my childish talk with patient love. On Monday morning, he did as he had done on Sunday, and again on Tuesday. Three times he taught me and prayed with me. Before he had to leave, my grandfather had come back from the place where he had gone to preach, and all the family members were gathered for morning prayer. Then, in the presence of them all, Mr. Knill took me on his knee and said, This child will one day preach the gospel, and he will preach it to great multitudes. I am persuaded that he will preach in the chapel of Roland Hill, where, I think he said, I am now the minister. He spoke very solemnly, and he called upon all present to witness what he said. Then he gave me a coin as a reward, if I would learn the hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, His Wonders to Perform. Footnote: These are the opening lines from a hymn by William Cowper, 1731-1800. I was made to promise that when I preached in Roland Hill's chapel, that hymn would be sung. Think of that as a promise from a child. Would it ever be other than an empty dream? Years flew by. After I had begun to preach in London for a little while, Dr. Alexander Fletcher was to give the annual sermon to children in Surrey Chapel, but he got sick, and I was asked without much notice to preach to the children. Yes, I said, I will if the children will sing God Moves in a Mysterious Way. I made a promise long ago that the song would be sung. And so it was. I preached in Roland Hill's chapel, and the hymn was sung. I cannot describe my emotions on that occasion. Still, that was not the chapel that Mr. Knill intended. Without me seeking the opportunity, the minister at Watton Under Edge, which was Mr. Hill's summer residence, invited me to preach there. I went on the condition that the congregation would sing God Moves in a Mysterious Way, and this was also done. After that, I went to preach for Mr. Knill himself, who was then at Chester. What a meeting we had! Notice this, he was preaching in a theatre, and his preaching in a theatre took away from me all fear about preaching in secular buildings. It set me free for the campaigns in Exeter Hall and the Surrey Music Hall. This was significant in me overcoming my fear of then speaking in even more theatre services. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. After more than forty years of the Lord's loving kindness, I sat again in that arbor. No doubt it's not as impressive for outsiders to hear, but to me it was an overwhelming moment. The current minister of Stambourne Meeting House, along with the members of his family, including his son and his grandchildren, were in the garden, and I couldn't help calling them together around that arbor while I praised the Lord for his goodness. An irresistible impulse was upon me to ask God to bless those boys who stood around me. 
Do you not see how the memory prompted the prayer? When they grow up, I want them to remember my testimony of God's goodness to me, and for that same reason I tell it to young people. God has blessed me all my life long, and has redeemed me from all evil, and I pray that He may be your God. I would especially address you who have godly parents. I urge you to follow in their footsteps so that you may one day speak of the Lord as they were able to do in their day. Remember that special promise I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Proverbs 8 17. May the Holy Spirit lead you to seek him, and you will live to praise his name as Jacob did.